Hi, my name is Matt Fernley, editor of Battery Materials Review, and here's all the key news in the world of battery materials this month. Welcome to July's edition of Recharge, the podcast of Battery Materials Review. In this month's edition of the review, our focus topic is the emerging supply-demand gap in battery minerals. We've updated our EV sales forecast to move more in line with new consensus of 14 million vehicles in 2025 and 29 million vehicles in 2030. This has a flow-through effect on our materials demand models and brings forward the supply-demand deficit for most materials to 2023. That gives very little time indeed to invest in new capacity before prices are likely to rise substantially. In raw materials news this month, the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development published a report on the security of battery raw material supply, and they also seem to share our concerns about security of supply. It was all go in cobalt, with Tesla reportedly signing an offtake with Glencore, zero imports of cobalt ores to China from the DRC in May, and CRU highlighting that the collapse in intercontinental travel is likely to have a negative impact on turbine demand for cobalt, prior to this a major end use for the material. We've dropped cobalt to the bottom of our materials ranking in this issue. Nickel continues to dominate exploration drilling results in June, particularly given the shortage of capital in other sectors over the past 18 months. Talon Metals' Tamarack project in Minnesota had some positive results, as did Mali Lithium step-out drilling at the Gulamina project in Mali. There were two significant resource upgrades during the month, Core Lithium's resource and reserve upgrade at the Finnis project in Australia, and Galan Lithium's resource upgrade at the Hombre Muerto West project in Argentina. June was the best month for financing in battery raw materials since September 2019, with $128 million US dollars raised among 15 companies but funds raised are still down 77% year-to-date after being down 49% year-on-year in 2019. In the lithium space, funds raised are down 78% year-to-date after being down 63% in 2019. As I noted earlier, the lack of capital availability for raw materials is starting to become a real issue in a space. Moving downstream now, Germany has allocated 300 million euros to the German battery maker Varta to get it started on electric vehicle battery manufacturing as it starts to try and build its own local hub. In the US, polls are suggesting a Democrat win may be on the cards in the US election, which would be very positive for this sector. Democrats support the Green New Deal, which would end US greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 and would mean that no ICE cars could be sold after 2035 and that heavy-duty trucks and the power sector would need to eliminate emissions by 2040. Elsewhere, a study by Select Car Leasing and Geotab found that battery degradation has improved significantly since the first generation of electric cars. A comparison over time for the Nissan Leaf found a step change in longevity of the battery after 2016. A comparison between makers and models over one year found that the Chevy Bolt EV was the best performer and had zero battery degradation after the year, whereas the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid EV was the worst performer and its battery degraded 4.1% in one year. Plug-in hybrid EVs dominated the list of worst performing batteries. Another study by UC Berkeley and GridLab 
found that not only is it possible for the US to go to 90% renewable energy by 2035, but actually it could be cheaper as well because of the stunning recent declines in the cost of renewables and battery storage. The study suggests that no new gas plant construction will be necessary and that all coal plants will be retired by 2035. To reach the goal of 90% renewables by that time, the US would have to install 70 gigawatts per year of new wind and solar capacity. So it better get building. We've heard a lot over the past few months about batteries replacing natural gas pico plants in the US, but not so much in Europe. A report in June by consultant Wood McKenzie suggests that battery storage should be cheaper than natural gas power plants in Europe as well by 2030. In our data roundup this month, European EV sales bounced off their April lows in May, and Chinese EV sales continue to improve sequentially, which is great news for the space. Anecdotally, Chinese EV sales also improved month on month in June. Consumer battery demand remains anemic in the second quarter, with hearables the fastest growing sector. Mobile phones and other wearables demand remains relatively weak, although power tools demand is anecdotally robust. In our materials ranking this month, we promote spodumene concentrate to our top position because of the improving inventory position and our view that demand is poised to accelerate. Lithium hydroxide and lithium carbonate also move up several places. Cobalt falls to the bottom place due to our concerns about high inventories, as well as demand growth being weaker because of COVID impacts on other industries and the continuing focus on low cobalt battery chemistries. June was another good month for most battery materials equities, with our graphite and downstream baskets the best performance. Our rare earth and vanadium baskets were in negative territory for month. We flagged the huge outperformance of our downstream basket versus our lithium-ion battery raw materials basket since January 2019. It's outperformed by a massive 161%, highlighting again the lack of focus on raw materials equities by the markets compared to downstream industries. This needs to end if a significant supply-demand gap is not going to emerge. So that's the end of our news roundup for this issue. If you have any questions on any of the topics I've covered, please contact me or you can find more information on our website at www.batterymaterialsreview.com. Our interview this month is with John Downey, Managing Director of ASX-listed Pure Minerals. From this month's focus piece in Battery Materials Review, nickel comes out as one of the materials with the most significant impending supply-demand gap. Given the shortage of high-quality nickel sulfide projects and the cost of high-pressure acid leach plants for laterite, other technologies are likely to be needed going forward. Pure Minerals is looking to utilise a non-HPOW technology to build a nickel refinery to process imported laterite ore into nickel and cobalt sulphates. John, welcome to Recharge today. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here and looking forward to telling you the PM1 story um, about our Townsville Energy Chemicals Hub project in sunny Queensland, Australia. Brilliant. So, first of all, could you talk a little bit about the technology behind your approach? Pure Minerals plans to produce a complementary battery chemicals, namely nickel and cobalt sulphate and high-purity alumina at, at the tech project. But this is a two-stage project. The first is processing the ore to produce an intermediate concentrate, and the second stage is um, to take those concentrates as feedstock to a refinery to produce the end high-purity battery products. So the technology we employ only relates to the first or processing step, and it's called the direct nickel process. 
The refining stage applies pretty conventional solvent extraction, purification and flow sheets, or purification and crystallisation flow sheets. So um, we're really not talking in any detail about those. While HPAL has been the accepted process for laterite ores, its application in many projects has turned out to be very costly and it remains capital intensive. The direct nickel process, by contrast, has a number of advantages over HPAL. The capital intensity, you know, the US dollars per pound of nickel per annum is much lower because a processing plant will not require high-pressure acid or autoclaves or exotic materials of construction. All the valuable metals from a nickel laterite ore are leached into solution, allowing the direct nickel process to produce a suite of products that include nickel, cobalt, alumina, iron, magnesium. The third item is that 98 or 99 plus 99% of the nitric acid is recycled, and as such, there is a minimal ongoing OPEX associated with buying makeup acid. And lastly, the tailings left over is a benign residue containing mostly silicates, you know, which can be dry stacked, eliminating the need for a tailings dam and resulting in, in a much more environmentally friendly project. So this sounds like almost like an off-the-shelf technology. Why hasn't it really been used as much in the nickel industry up till now? You know, I think two aspects. When it, it was developed, the CSRO invested a significant amount of money and built a pilot plant over in Western Australia and, um, you know, about $7 million, and they tested about 22 different laterites and um, very successfully completed the proof of concept. But I guess at that time, in 2010, 2011, there was a number of major corporate HPL projects on the go, and, um, and all of them were pretty well convinced that they'd got past the Murren Murren sort of bad experiences and, and everything was going to be fine because there's no doubt that the ability to extract nickel and cobalt out of ore using high pressure is, um, is pretty fundamental. It just costs you a lot of money. It results in extremely high costs associated with commissioning and ramp up. And really, there's not very many projects that have been successful in uh, being able to uh, overcome that big hurdle that associated with HPL. So I think that's been an issue. And then later on, as we move towards 18, 19, 20, 2018, 19, 20, you know, there really hasn't been that many large developments. It's, it's only the EV sector that's all of a sudden started to inspire people to say, well, hang on, how can I produce nickel? What are the alternatives? What's the scale that I can produce it? And I think it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look back and look at the HPL failures and decide that there has to be a better way. Okay. So uh, you've completed a pre-feasibility study on the project. Could you tell us a little bit about the parameters of that PFS? All right. Well, look, the, you know, we're, we're pretty excited about the, the pre-feasibility study was completed in March. And um, it's based on importing 600,000 tonnes of, of ore from New Caledonia, from laterite limonite, in fact, which contains significant amounts of cobalt as well. And um, in a processing plant at Townsville, you know, the good thing about that is that Townsville in the past has been the site for the old Queensland Nickel Project. So all the approvals are in place and 
there's lots of good people there with lots of experience in the nickel business. So um, that's how we've chosen that site. But so the tech project produced about 26,400 tonnes of nickel sulphate, 3,100 3, tonnes of cobalt sulphate and about 4,000 tonnes of high-purity alumina. And despite the small scale, it still is a quarter one producer on the cost curve with negative cash costs after byproduct credits. Capital cost is under 400 million US, including the contingency. On a conservative assumptions, um, it'll generate over 200 million of EBITDA. And, and, you know, those conservative assumptions include the current spot price of nickel at 570 and an NPV of exceeding $1 billion. We're pretty happy with those outcomes. And a lot of it's to do with the fact that we have the ability to extract other payable metals out of the out of the ore. That's yeah, the so I was just going to ask about that. Could you talk a little bit more about the byproduct credits that you would expect to derive from the project? You know, the main uh, byproduct, of course, is um, so the, the primary product is nickel and cobalt. The main byproduct, of course, is um, is HPA or high purity alumina, and that's generated. We precipitate. In between pulling out the all the iron and the MHP, we actually precipitate an aluminium hydroxide, and that's that's equivalent of about 68, 69% alumina. So it's it's sort of like double the alumina grade for um, kaolin, a bit less than double from um, from bauxite. So we're starting with a byproduct that's got no attributable value, but it's actually quite High grade, so that gives us the option of um, of then moving through the purification steps and um, producing a four nines HBA, uh, very um, very economically. I suppose I'm looking for a better word, but um, at very low operating cost and certainly um, capital cost that uh, is less than a hundred million Aussie. So um, you know we think that gives us a a really great start, but one of the things we've got to be careful of, we can't be um, all things to all people. You know, there is lots of iron in the um, inner in limonite, 47% FE, in fact, you know, which um, so the 600,000 tonnes produces about 327,000 tonnes of, of hematite with 67% FE. So it's a quite a high purity hematite that, that we've got as, a, as another byproduct. And um, magnesium. Magnesium or magnesia, I'm sorry, magnesium oxide. We recycle quite of that, quite a bit of that back into the process, but we have about twenty thousand tons left over for uh, for sales into. And who knows, we might sell it to some of the HPA projects. There's a highly reactive um, magnesia that they can use for the pH um, uh, adjustment in their process. So uh, that's another good product. Scandium, I haven't touched on and. In the future, you know, that, that's likely to be a, um, an interesting product, but we haven't, we've just assumed precipitating it out and stockpiling it um, for a period of time because it's not a big volume, so we can afford to do that. But down the track, of course, that will be a, a nice little value add. Just uh, you mentioned that you were going to import the raw material from New Caledonia. How sustainable is that supply and uh, have, you lo- have you locked up the agreements already? Well, we've got agreements in place, and they're conditional upon us delivering the plant and those sort of things. But 
for 15 years from two of the three major suppliers and owners of the perpetual tenements in the, or the perpetual concessions in New Caledonia. So, you know, that gives us a high level of confidence. New Caledonia, don't, don't ignore that New Caledonia has been, been um, in the business since um, Jules Garnier uh, arrived in 1880 and, um, and invented the word Garnerite for um, some of the high, um, you know, really high-grade um, minerals in the ore. But they've also, they currently export about 8.4 million tonnes of direct shipping ore to uh, South Korea and Japan and uh, a little bit to Taiwan. The mining operations and, and including uh, Society La Nickel, you know, the processing in Doniambo has been there for uh, plus 100 years. So, um, and the reserves for nickel, for instance, are um, known to be in excess of 7 million tonnes. We're pretty confident. We have, I worked for Goro for quite some time and um, in the early stages of development. So I had the opportunity to live in New Caledonia and, de- and I've developed some close networks. So I feel very confident about our relationships and, and the security of supply. And can you tell me a little bit about the infrastructure around your project area? What's particularly attractive about that area? Well, I mentioned before that um, Queensland Nickel imported limonite ore into uh, Townsville. Townsville is a great port because it it's not flooded with the um, coal or um, gas that we see on the east coast of Australia. It's more of a boutique port, so it'll take our 50,000, 60,000 tonnes geared vessels very well. But it also is already pre-approved because um, since 1987, Queensland Nickel were importing limonite ore from, um, from not just New Caledonia but from Indonesia in the good old days and uh, places like, um, you know, out of the Philippines. And so... Uh, all that's in place doesn't require any new approvals for us and, uh, and that speeds up our, our project. But we're locating the plant about 35k south of, uh, of Townsville. We're on the Flinders Highway. We've got a road train route straight to the port, straight to the berth, in fact. We've got power, we've got water, we've got gas, uh, coal seam gas coming up from Collinsville. We've got uh, a railway line out to uh, Mount Isa, lots of open space and So we really covered all the critical infrastructure requirements that make an ideal location for this plant, but but as importantly allows it to grow into into a larger scale. And who knows, um, you know, we we would in the long term see um, perhaps a quadrupling of this plant from 600,000 tonnes to, uh, you know, about 2.4 million tonnes of ore. Okay, great. So what sort of catalysts are you going to deliver sort of in the near term and the rest of this year and into next year? Well, we're a bit focused. Is really running the pilot plant, the CSRO pilot plant that was over in, uh, in Perth. The program is partially funded by a $2.6 million cooperative research centre grant from the federal government, and we've received lots of support, uh, in-kind support from both the CSRO and, and uh, Direct Nickel. So running the pilot plant will give us the opportunity to generate final sample of the sulphate product so we can send it off to potential end users with a view to securing offtake and potential strategic investment. We're also making progress with the environmental studies and, uh, you know, a lot of those have got to be done um, in accordance with the seasons, you know, the baseline studies and things. But given that the Townsville is very familiar with 
importing ore. All the um, approval process is, um, you know, we believe very um, uh, very straightforward and uh, we should be able to complete that in a short period of time. So our focus is running the pilot plant, get some final product samples so we can get it out to end users and get really third-party validation of our process and give people something to touch and feel. How far away are you from a feasibility study or a DFS? Well, currently our plan is to complete the, um, the DFS in the latter part of 2021, and we're on track to do that. We had originally thought it might be earlier in 2021, but of course COVID has caused some delays. That's still a, um, you know, a reasonable, sensible target to have. Okay. And what sort of interest are you seeing? Is it primarily from financial institutions or are you starting to see other industry players look at this project? Well, principally financial institutions and, and individual high net worth in, individuals as investors. You know, investment from the industry players, I think, is really going to be um, uh, dependent on us producing samples, getting them out there and getting this third-party validation from the precursor manufacturers. So, um, you know, we think that's going to be the real game changer and start to involve uh, industry players. Generally, I guess we're, a lot of people are keen. We've got a lot of supporters both in the, uh, you know, in the Queensland government, federal government. You know, it's really refreshing to see such an enthusiastic bunch of people supporting the project. But I guess, the, you know, it's up to us now to, uh, to produce these samples and get them out there and, and get some, um, some offtake partners on site. Excellent. Okay. So uh, if there's one thing for an investor to take away about pure minerals from this, from this interview, what do you think it should be? Uh, well, that's an easy one. You know, we're an undervalued stock. We've flown under the radar. The next six to 12 months are critical and we're very confident we can achieve those milestones, which is to produce product, get it out there. And, um, you know, that'll unlock significant values for shareholders. You know, the, the, um, you know, the multiple will be quite substantial. John Downey, Managing Director of ASX Listed Pure Minerals. Thanks very much for your time today. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks for the opportunity. So that brings us to the end of our podcast for July. You can get more detail on any of the topics I've discussed in the latest issue of Battery Materials Review, which you can find at www.batterymaterialsreview.com. I'm Matt Fernley, editor of Battery Materials Review, and this has been Recharge. Thanks for listening.